And about two weeks before he was supposed to move out, he got shot and killed. Mm-hmm. He actually got shot and killed when Jay went back to go visit him. Uh, ended wow. up dying in his arms. Oh, no. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. And it was in that context that I knew something had to be done about the conditions facing a lot of our young men, a lot of black males in our communities, a lot of black and brown males for that matter. Yeah. And um, I decided to engage in a research project to figure out, like, what could we do to help young black men? Hi, thank you so much for joining the Falling for Learning podcast. I am T.D. Blinaw. We have this podcast to help parents and caregivers with having the resources, strategies, and tools needed to make sure that their children are on track for learning and to stay on track for success. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on the Falling for Learning podcast. We are here today with Dr. D'Artagnan Souza. Uh, he is a the executive director of racial equity at the Chief Executive Office of Los Angeles County. He currently lectures in the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health. In 2008, he founded the Social Justice Learning Institute and served as its executive director until 2020. He also served on the Inglewood School Board from 2015 to 2020. Scores are earned a PhD in education from UCLA in 2013. He also served as a personnel specialist in the U.S. Navy between 2001 and 2006, completing a tour of duty in Iraq. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Scorza. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much, Dr. Fanon. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking it into existence. That's, that's a manifesting. <laughs> Well, it's so good to have you here. Um, let's just keep it real for the audience. <laughs> Dr. Scorza is my brother-in-law, so I've known him for many years. He's married to my sister. Um, and so um, we're glad to have him on our um, podcast because he um, is not only a family member, but also has done amazing work in the community for for education. And this is what our program is all about, making sure we understand resources and information out there to make sure our kids are on track for learning and stay on track for success. You know, first of all, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to, to talk to folk about, you know, how we can do work to help improve outcomes and, and conditions for our young folk in schools and beyond. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've been, been happy to see the work, not only this podcast, but the work you've done in schools and in education and super excited to to Thanks. share more about how we can advance this work in L.A. County and beyond. Well, Dr. Scorza, what made you decide to go into education? You know, I decided to go into education. I actually wanted to go into law uh, first. Like many, I think, young folk were like, oh, being a lawyer is the thing you can do or being an engineer or a doctor. And... Um, I thought law, excuse me, I thought law would be one of the ways that I could help transform uh, outcomes in my community. Having grown up in Inglewood, both in Watson, Inglewood, and having seen many challenges in my community, I I thought law would be a way for me to help, you know, uh, bring justice to, um, you know, my family to help um, make sure that, uh, you know, we were able to 
rectify policies that were having a negative impact on uh, folk in our communities, like, you know, the war on drugs and the war right. on poverty. So law was really my interest. And it wasn't until the death of one of my family members in 2006, mm. um, I had just come back from Iraq, uh, and, um, and he was going to come and live with me in San Diego. I had another family member who came and lived with me, and he said, you know, uh, if, if the family member, I, I'll call him um, Jay for the time being. Jay uh, said, if I don't leave this neighborhood, somebody's going to somebody's gonna kill me. Mm. And, mm. Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, he says, can I, can I come live with you? So he came to live with me. And then another family member wasn't getting involved. He saw what we were doing. I got in Jay enrolled in college. He was working. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was a great, I think, sort of transition. And another family member was graduating high school and um and wanted to come down here to wanted to come and live with me in san diego and i said sure you can come and do that um and about two weeks before he was supposed to move out he got shot and killed mm, mm, mm. he actually got shot and killed when jay went back to go visit him uh ended wow. up dying in his arms oh no and um <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> excuse me and it was in that context that I knew something had to be done about the conditions facing a lot of our young men, a lot of black males in our communities, a lot of black and brown males for that matter. Yeah. And um, I decided to engage in a research project to figure out, like, what could we do to help young black men deal with the challenges many of us face. You know, my dad was incarcerated at the time. My brothers were incarcerated. I had family members who had been killed in and around Los Angeles. And I just, I said, we got to do something about these conditions. We have too many of our young men locked up. We have too many uh, challenges in our schools. There mm-hmm. just, just, we had to do something about it. Right. <clears throat> and it was through sort of doing that research and eventually becoming a McNair research scholar at UCLA that I was able to build out a program that centered on helping young men, especially African-American men within schools uh, to, you know, transition out of the carceral system and into pathways of opportunity. Uh, and um, I based can- it on the Detroit Malcolm X Academy model as well. Can I just inter- interrupt you for a moment? Like, so you have all this going around you with father, brothers, uh, cousins, all these people. But what what made it different for you that you weren't involved in those kind of things? You know, I, I will tell you, it's interesting. I had to ask myself that question. And I asked myself my, that question during my PhD program, <clears throat> excuse me, because, you know, uh, I would go visit my dad in Tehachapi State Prison. And, um, and I would sort of always, you know, try to figure out what, what did make me different. And it wasn't so much that I was different from them or from my family or from my brothers or my cousins. It, it, they all had the same, I think, in many ways, potential and capability. They're all just as smart, just as brilliant. But what made things different were the people in my life. So it was the teachers in my school who were like, hey, we see something in him. Let's go ahead and, you know. Mm-hmm take, you know, invest in him. Or it was family members who, when we were homeless at some point, they took us in, right? Mm -hmm. It was um, 
it was church members who, you know, frankly, I didn't even think I was going to go to college by the time I was ready to graduate high school. It was my college counselor who was like, you need to apply to UCLA. You need to apply to college. You know, it was, you know, family members who and church members who were like, hey, you know, we got to keep you on the right pathway. I remember I remember there was one time I, um, you know, I remember uh, I had a family member who basically came to get me from a situation and said, look, if you don't if you don't change your behavior, you're going to go down a really bad road. Right. right. And, she mm-hmm. and, and she said, you know what? Look, you're getting older. You don't you don't have the luxury of making mistakes like mm-hmm. you either need to make some decisions and make things better for yourself and take your own life into your own hands and, and improve things for yourself or you're not going to make it. Right. And rest her soul. That advice was really influential on me. So it was both the combination of people in my life as well as choices mm-hmm. that I made along the way. And the choices were influenced by those people who kept looking out for me. So every single time I was getting ready to make a left instead of a right or go down mm. the road, okay. you know, keep it on track. Okay. Really interesting. Um, so what, as a kid, I obvi- obviously, if they're saying apply to UCLA or something, you must have had pretty good grades or like, what was it that hooked you, like kept you into learning or, you know, going ahead, doing your schoolwork, despite different things going on in your life? You know, it's interesting. Um, that's a really interesting question. So at the time, I think getting ready to, to go to UCLA, like I said, I didn't think I was going to be able to make it to college. I remember having this conversation with my my mom and my aunt and a couple of things. Um, first, you know, it, it took people believing in me along the way. So, yes, I did have pretty decent grades and I did enjoy school for the most part. Um, not always, but I did enjoy school for the most part because school for me was like a refuge. It was a, mm, it was a place. To, okay. To build- place of, of opportunity. And in and, and Inglewood at the time, right, we had a lot of we had a lot of black teachers who were like, they were about that life. They were like, yo, right. even, even, even <laughs> most of my life, like even even from second grade, I remember my second grade teacher who was like, no, you all are gonna learn about black history. You're gonna learn about like we watch roots in school. You know, what I mean? like <laughs> yes. <laughs> last time we heard about kids watching roots in school, right? Like these are things that we did and I think that building of a consciousness over time helped me understand how important education was. And I will say my mom and family always emphasized the importance of education. It was never a situation where they were like, education is not important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it is in most of our family. I think most of our families do that anyway. Absolutely. But I, I, took, yeah. I took it to heart, right? I took it to heart. Um, and I think uh, it, it was just a different, it was just a different set of conditions at the time. Okay. Whereas now I think a lot of our young folk, you know, um, they see, they see through our institutions, they see that they're not relevant. They're not very culturally relevant. They don't teach our young folk about their history often. Yes. I mean, we now fortunately have an ethnic studies requirement in certain districts. And, yes. But yes. a lot of our young folk, they don't, they don't, they don't get to see themselves in their educational experience. They don't see opportunities in them. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I think that can be really discouraging for a lot of them. 
Absolutely. And I'm, I've, I've also been think, talking about this on the podcast too, because there's also this over-testing, I think, that has, that really teachers feel a time crunch and they're like, I can't do that. We don't have time for that, like interesting, exciting thing, you know? And um, because there's a lot more testing, it just, it, it's, yeah. it really is. So, um, but but I think that's what a lot of educators are missing. And again, this is why I really lean in on parents to, you know, take those reins and be like, okay, my child needs this. My child needs that. I'm going to advocate for this at school um, because it's easy to get caught up in the testing for teachers, right? Like everybody is leaning in, like you've got to be you know, testing and it's, you know, this creativity stuff, we don't have time for it, you know, and, you know, we literally have those conversations. So when they, yeah. you know, <laughs> no, it's I, hard. I agree. The, the standards movement, I think in the early nineties, um, moving, you know, from, for actually, actually starting really in the eighties, right back at right back when Ray risk wrote a nation at risk and the U S was trying to, you know, fight, in the Cold War to make sure it had dominance in space and in engineering mm. and science. And right. there was sort of this push to, you know, increase educational standards. And there, and to me, there's there's nothing really wrong with that fundamentally, right? We wanted to improve literacy. There are a lot of folk that still had challenges reading and writing. That That's not a problem or a bad thing in and of itself. But the challenge was that I think the standards movement that really began to emerge in the 90s took away the room to actually um, customize and localize and contextualize education and education opportunities for our young folk. And it did, as you said, it squoze out the time that teachers needed to invest in, in our students beyond what they were told they could do, right? And it well, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I know a lot of teachers who very much invest in our young folk. I know that they- Absolutely. They, I just want to push back against that a little bit because the standards, I feel like, are not the issue. Like, having a baseline of everyone should be learning this. The issue is the testing. So the amount of time that mm -hmm. testing takes, the structure of the test, people are trying to um, do that. And then also, you know, we, we also don't think about this invisible issue is like who's, you know, these testing organizations are making billions of dollars, right? And, um, so it is I feel like the testing is the issue. Like what to what to teach is not like is the standards, which is not well, is not bad, but the te the testing, the the time, energy, um, money, um, all of that that's put into the testing. And they really traumatize teachers. I've I've talked to traumatized teachers about these testing. Like when our test scores went down, they were on us in such uncomfortable ways. Like I don't want to veer off that trail again and have to deal with that is what I'm hearing from teachers. And so again, um the unintended consequence is very rigid, not as creative or um, culturally relevant tasks in the name of let's get them ready for the test. Um, and that's, you know, ends up being very problematic because then we have kids who are just fed up and they'll be like, I'm not doing it. And yeah, they don't. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with that. I agree that, that testing is certainly a challenge. Yet I also maintain that someone set the standards. Right. Yes, for someone, true. 
someone set those standards based upon whatever ideology they had, based upon whatever priorities they wanted to set, based upon their political uh, outcomes they wanted, the political outcomes they wanted to achieve, yes. right? No child left behind. That sort of really accelerated uh, the move towards um, deeper testing and, and and more rigorous testing, right? So, yeah. so the question to me in my mind is, you know, what makes sense for our communities, for our kids, for our young folk to right. help them thrive and succeed? And again, you're right. There's nothing wrong. And I think I said that there's nothing wrong with having standards and wanting to make sure that everyone can be successful, making sure right. that everyone can succeed in our society. I think that's actually a really good thing to uphold, a really good value to have. The question is how we apply it. And I think to your point, the application of the standards, the standards themselves, but the application of the standards, utilizing testing as an as a way to measure, you know, whether or not students are performing has really had, to your point, these unintended consequences, right. or maybe they are intended. You know, <laughs> we I, don't I know. Say, yeah. I'm that schools have been designed this way for a long absolutely. time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And they were based upon a manufacturing economy. We've now moved towards a service and finance economy. Schools, many schools, have really not kept pace with what our society needs in order for our young folk and many students of color themselves to thrive. Right. And, you know, it's it's important. I mean, like it's 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 notable because you're you're I want to say something. I was like, you're right. When I think about standards, I think of more like English standards. But when we think about like social studies standards and science standards, of course, it is more agenda based. The The English is is easy. I could kind of teach any book with the standards or any content with the standards with English. We have a little bit more autonomy in that way. Um, because it's like, you know, you're writing an essay, you're writing a story, you're writing, you know, so it's not, but it could be any story, any, you know, so, but you're right with the other standards, it is more like politically driven, of course. And we see in other States like Florida and stuff like that, like really. So I forgot about that. Like a lot of times I really think about English, but the other thing is, um, you know, one thing that you were saying about, like, we don't know if it's designed for that. And I'm like, you're right, because some, you know, originally we did have these tiered 